This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England. I think the, you know, trying to think about what's the role of art inside our social structures, uh, for me, it's uh, to do with moving people. You should never, ever apologise, because this is the business of life. As an artist, I just want to tell the stories that excite me and inspire me. Opening, asking, widening, stretching the way we are perceiving a certain reality. Hello, I'm Kirsty Wark and we're coming to you today from the Lowry in Salford at State of the Arts, Artists Shaping the World, Arts Council England's annual national conference for the arts and culture sector. This year's event is focusing on the artist's role in contributing to a changing society and you will hear debate and discussion from leading figures within the sector. and uh, welcome to you all, welcome to the Lowry. I'm so happy to have been asked to be involved. Looking through the list, this hugely oversubscribed list of people wanting to come to this conference, there are so many artists here today, creative thinkers, educators, arts entrepreneurs, and this is a programme designed for you the way you wanted it to be designed. This is the third conference, and it is very, very important that for this third conference, for the Arts Council England, of course, the artist should be at the centre. So there'll be plenty of conversation and debate about your relationship with Arts Council England, how important it is that it can help you in nurturing your talent, in allowing artists time to develop their practice. And there are so many questions today about where the artist sits in the spectrum of our society. Can Arts Council England encourage and offer opportunities everywhere and for everyone that needs it? Diversity is the big goal still to be reached, but the appetite is huge. Good morning, Valentines. <laughs> uh, my name's Alan Davey, Chief Executive of Arts Council England. And I'm delighted to welcome you all to the third State of the Arts Conference and the Arts Council's Valentine's Day Special. A day when, according to Chaucer, every fowl cometh there to choose his mate. Um, and I hope you'll all be making new friends and forging new partnerships during the course of today and help us fulfill the Arts Council's newly defined role as Cupid amongst artists. I'm really glad that we're here in Salford, close to Media City, as we present the conference alongside our partners and new Valentine lovers, the BBC. Uh, the past year has seen the Arts Council and the BBC really forge close links, collaborating in running the Building Digital Capacity for the Arts seminars and in developing uh, our new initiative, The Space. Now, you'll be hearing a lot more about the space um, during the course of the day, I'm sure. But it's the first major demonstration of the Arts Council, the BBC's public value partnership, a kind of um, val extended Valentine card, if you like. Um, the two organisations are teaming up to launch a prototype digital service, a type of arts player plus that will have a presence on TV, computer, tablets and smartphones. And between 50 to 70 organizations or artists will be creating new programs and material for the space. And all these original commissions uh, will be announced next Wednesday, the 22nd of February. And the service itself will launch in May as part of an exceptional summer of arts. And I think that's something we're also going to be talking about um, during the day. Right now, I'm delighted to welcome Liz Forgan, Chair of Arts Council England. She is passionate about artistic endeavor in all its forms. 
and Achieving Great Art for Everybody, for Everyone, the Arts Council England's Call to Arms was produced by Alan, but under her leadership. And here she is with her thoughts on the artist and the Arts Council. Morning, everyone. The credit rating is tottering. Life is serious. And of course, we are all thinking about jobs, revenue generation, economic growth. And inevitably, now more than ever, the public debate about the arts is focused on the bottom line. We talk endlessly about art in terms of regeneration, creative economy, return on investment. And fair enough, the instrumental value of the arts to wealth, to mental and physical health, to education, to social coherence is real and enormously, enormously important. But today is about something else. Today is about the extraordinary and essential role which artists play in our society, their genius, their needs, their contribution to what matters in all our lives. So what's the Arts Council doing to support artists in this extraordinary enterprise? Our role is just to create the conditions for the most talented artists to emerge and reach their potential. A job which starts in the earliest years and it continues through life. Artists need to be able to take risks, to innovate and to change direction to continually redefine what great art can be. And that means they not only need enough to eat and pay the rent, but also time and space for research and development, access to workspaces, opportunities to showcase critical and supportive feedback, help in realizing an ambitious idea, and the chance to collaborate both at home and abroad. We at the Arts Council want to be an organization that offers intelligent support and that backs artists at the times in their career when they need it most. An organisation that artists feel they can come to as partners and colleagues. 2012, despite everything, does really feel like a year of the most tremendous opportunity for artists across the country. Later this year, of course, will be the greatest showcase of them all, the London Olympics. Our creative minds are already putting themselves at the heart of the Olympic celebrations, with outstanding projects taking shape all over the country, from Anthony McCall's column in Merseyside to the Thames being transformed into a river of music. The Cultural Olympiad is going to show the world that there is no country that can compete with the restless innovation of British artists. And in the run-up to the Olympics comes the project I feel most excited about because I believe it could be a real watershed in the way that culture and the arts develop in the rest of our lifetimes. Alan mentioned the space, the new digital arts media service we're launching alongside the, the BBC in May. This is a real step into the unknown for the Arts Council and for artists. Of course, it's a huge risk, but fortune favours the brave, and without courage, there is no creativity. So we're plunging in, and so are artists and arts organisations all over the country. The space will, of course, open up completely new ways of distributing artists' work digitally. And today I'm delighted to announce another very different initiative which we hope will also help artists to broaden their physical and cultural horizons. In what is a new chapter in the relationship between the Arts Council and the British Council, we're launching the Artists' International Development Fund, which is a three-quarters of a million pound fund to support English artists to travel, explore and collaborate internationally, developing markets and audiences overseas for their work. 
the fund will open for applications next month and it responds to the evident and increasing insistence by artists that they need access to their peers, to audiences and to influences from other places and other cultures. And the fund will, I hope, be a valuable help to artists to build on domestic success at crucial stages of their career. things I've learned about myself and about other people that I don't think you can really come to understand with words and with just uh, verbal communication. We're now at a point in this recession where we're being forced to face false choices. You know, people set up binaries which are completely untrue. So they say, it's the arts or the health service, as though those are equivalents. In fact, the way we have this conversation is entirely propositional. These are not truths, these are propositions, and we can change them. And I want to protect the place in us that I think is most under threat, and that's the imagination. It's moving in the place of wind like a gust. In order to have communication, we got to build trust. Trust between artists and communities, and the funders in the place and the local authorities. It's my very pleasant job to introduce our next speaker, Ed Vasey, Minister for Culture, Communications and the Creative Industries. I love being the Minister of Culture uh, and I love representing this sector. It's a huge privilege, it's a pleasure to represent such an important part of our national life. And of course, in a time of economic austerity and uncertainty, again, I suspect a theme that we'll hear a lot of today, I think that the arts are more important than ever before. But I also think that more and more people now recognise that you, the people in this room, are brilliant at what you do. And what you do is important. And I do come from the school of thought that believes that the arts are their own justification, valuable in and of themselves. I don't think the arts do have to find other arguments to support the importance of what you do every day. But in any event, if you do, I think those arguments have been made and made very forcefully and effectively. Because nobody, I think, today would doubt the contribution that the arts make to our economy, to our communities, to our schools, to our well-being. And I think today we see it more than ever before. But I think wherever you look at the moment, British creativity is having a massive impact here and abroad. Whether it's the Leonardo, the Freud, the Hockneys drawing massive crowds, Hearst coming at Tate Modern, Warhorse, Jerusalem, One Man, Two Governors, British artists like Adele dominating the charts, British films topping the box office, British fashion centre stage. And around the country, new and ambitious museums and galleries opening from Turner in Margate to Hepworth in Wakefield, from M Shed in Bristol to First Sight in Colchester, Nottingham Contemporary to the recently refurbished Holborn Museum in Bath. The artist's fidelity strengthens the fibre of our national life. I see little of more importance to the future of our country and our civilization than full recognition of the place of the artist. And I say amen to that. Thank you very much. The lack of resources um, creates a context in which you have to create something out of nothing. Now, in my personal opinion, 
I think that is a really good place to begin making art from. I think we need to think longer term. Um, so when we plan, we need to really look at the audiences and um, the opportunities we're giving people and making sure that we're thinking about kind of longer term and not just a kind of one-off project for people, but really instilling that kind of ethos of working. And that's the big challenge for arts organisations rather than individual artists, is to stop seeing community and participatory art as something separate, but see them as part of real life and to make themselves part of real community life, not an add-on at the end of the day. I'm delighted to welcome to join me for a conversation Arlene Phillips, OBE. I would love to do the one show for art and dance. The one show attracts a lot of people. There is so much going on all over the UK that people don't know about. There are the most fascinating dance communities. There's a Brazilian form of dance called Zouk um, that, that people are living and breathing. There are hundreds and thousands of people all over the country doing Zumba and Salsa. And there are many, many forms of dance and art that people don't know are going on, where to find it, talking about it, making it entertaining, letting people know a vast audience, not only has Sadler's Wells got the most amazing programming, but many of those pieces go out and they need to reach and be known about to everybody, not just the people who are searching for the arts, who are looking in the newspaper to find it, because it's proved by giving this to people they love it. They love art as entertainment, and I think we can build art into entertainment. Let me ask you then a tricky question. Go on, trick me. It is quite tricky. Yeah. How would you get a big audience to watch the Turner Prize? Oh, I, I, would, I would absolutely find the most popular, um, you know, the Brian Cox of the art world. I, that, that's, you know, it's, what, it's or just finding, get Brian Cox to do it. Right? Or you know, Brian Cox yeah. to do it, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Find, find people who just by the, the, by, um, the way that they speak, the way they, they can express their passion, and it may come, as you say, from a different... I mean, I wouldn't put Jeremy Clarkson there to do it, but... Why not? You know, Why not? Why not? Maybe that's well, exactly what it needs. Well, maybe, <laughs> but there are people who are interesting and entertaining and and they should be they, they should cross-platform them it doesn't mean somebody that is knowledgeable about the arts and can spout and spout every fact would necessarily make the most entertaining um person to host the program but goodness knows there are so many fascinating and riveting people give it to them and turn that into entertainment i think that whatever way there is to our, at our disposal we should use because I think that the, the digital world for the youth at the moment is the best way of sharing your work. The amount of um, young people that I know that have given me videos of their dance performance that I would never have seen via their phone I think is amazing. And um, as a marketing tool I think it's excellent because then I want to go and see their show. What plans do the Arts Council of England have to mitigate against the negative impact on artists of changing in higher education funding? That is a really huge issue uh, at the moment, Liz. I think it is. And um, I, I do think that it is completely mad 
to look at the funding of culture as something that you do through the Arts Council for one bit of the thing. Funding culture starts in the very beginning of children's earliest years. It goes on through the funding of arts, of artists, of performance, and it goes on into higher education. It's one long continuum, and it's dotty for a government to look at one bit of it in isolation. I very much hope that Ed's marvellous new initiative with finally getting the Department of Education to talk properly to culture is going to actually bear fruit. There's an ecology um, that exists and there are huge numbers of small organisations that take a lot of artistic risk actually. They're the ones that take the first commission with artists, they're the people that first go and see their work, they're the ones that invest a huge amount of resource and time working very, very closely with artists. So we've got to be really careful to protect that ecology and look after those small organisations as well that work you know, really on the ground. Yeah. I, think it's, it's, I, mean, I think it's interesting because, Ed, basically, the, the whole role of development, you see the Arts Council moving to that, that they work over the long term with artists, this idea that they're both nurturing and nourishing artists, and you have to have these relationships. And Liz seems to be saying that there is an issue about how much of that the Arts Council is going to be able to do. The issue about uh, the administrative savings, and uh, we have a discussion. We have a human uh, relationship uh, based on trust. Uh, and uh, I you know, pay tribute to what the Arts Council has achieved, certainly since we've been in government. I think uh, if you look at where the Arts Council is today in terms of perhaps how this audience perceives it and how it might have been perceived, say, four or five years ago, I think it's in a very, very different place. And I think it's a vote of confidence in the Arts Council that, uh, for example, they take over responsibility for libraries and, uh, as I said in my speech, sitting at the centre of music education and, I hope, our cultural education plan uh, as well. So, obviously, we have to have uh, a dialogue about as and when uh, things become may or may not become sticky. The increase in the amount of money on the Olympic opening ceremonies, the increase is double the amount of money which would it cost to reinstate all the 206 uh, organisations that were cut last March, uh, 100%. Um, and they will be, you know, they will be very wonderful events and window on the world and all of that. But, but, but choices have been made and they're very difficult choices and I'm very aware of, 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 uh, of the companies that are, that are no longer there. Uh, let's just put that straight back to Ruth and then Ed Vasey as well. O on that question, that all that, all the, what you were talking was, that the, the work that's done over the next two or three years, all the seeds of that are in you know, regional companies, in town companies and so forth. And if you don't have them, you're not going to have the next generation that are going to come and put on the war horses and everything else. No, and that's absolutely right. And it is a choice. It's a complicated choice. So the choice to um, increase the budget of the opening and closing ceremonies is made by central government. The choice as how you implement cuts to the Arts Council are made by the Arts Council. But I think what is really important is the opening ceremonies had a smaller budget than any opening ceremonies in the last 20 years. So we do need to have good opening we're, ceremonies. We really do. We are in terrible times, but... If we have chosen and won the Olympics and we've got the chance where between one and three billion people are going to watch the opening ceremonies, for goodness sake, we all of us work in the arts. We want to make sure that Stephen Daudry and Danny Boyle have the chance to show us off to our best advantage and it is our best advantage. Ed Vizzi, was it the right choice? Uh, well, obviously I'm going to say yes. But then you're going to justify it. 
Well, I think so. it's, a, it's a one-off opportunity, so we'll never get this opportunity again. I think we want to do it properly, and I think you know, the, the request came from the people doing the ceremony, and they justified that request for funding, and I don't think they would have come to us lightly uh, as they said, oh, you know, can we have a few extra million because we feel like it. They obviously wanted to want to do something with that, and I think it will have a huge uh, and important impact. Boston Williams, poet and MC. This is slightly different. Um, as a young person and artist, my concern is not necessarily the performance side of the industry. Um, sometimes I believe you just have to go out there and make those opportunities for yourself. However, in regards to the business side of things, mm. you know, what access to jobs for young people are there, especially those from the working class backgrounds? We're going to lose so much of this fantastic, fantastic work that, we sh yes, we should all be proud of that we do. We mustn't lose it, you know. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's young people living out on council estates now. What's going to happen to the voiceless in these lovely, cosy debates we're having? Let's just pick up on this point. That for, for young people particularly who can't get jobs, can't eat, can't get rent, can't get a place to stay without a job, how do you deal with that in these? What, where can the Arts Council particularly help young people, even with bursaries, to make sure they can actually put food on their tables? I think some of the most interesting work that's been going on for a while, you referred to it, is work with young people who want to be entrepreneurs, particularly in the music business. Roundhouse, Marcus was telling me yesterday about a, a scheme that I was talking to someone at Ingenious Media the other day, all over the place, that are really interesting initiatives to help young people who don't want to work necessarily in big institutions. They want to work for themselves, they want to make their music and profit from it. And that takes a range of skills that we need young people to have access to. And I think that that idea is spreading, and I think some really good work is going on. I think it's very important. And, and young people's training schemes, Ed, I mean, there should be more done. I mean, obviously, we've lost the EMA, and let's not maybe rehearse that argument again, but making sure that young people have the training that they need in order to progress well, their I own think, art. I mean, Creative and Cultural Skills announced last week their thousandth apprentice. Uh, so uh, that we've got the largest apprenticeship training scheme we've had in this country for about 40 years. So there is a lot of work being done, but again... You asked about my frustration earlier, but also my dull, prosaic mind is, is about collecting all this information. I mean, I know the Roundhouse and, uh, and the work that they do, but there's a lot of activity going on. Uh, and again, I think there's an important job to be done to make sure that we, we know where it's all happening, because people need to be guided. They need to know something is happening before they can take advantage of it. But Sorry. I'm delighted that uh, certainly apprentices are, are now... Uh, moving rapidly up the agenda of the National Apprenticeship Service, so that's good. Great so, industry it's a real shame that things like Future Jobs Funds have been scrapped, mm -hmm. actually, because they were great access for young people to get into arts organisations. Um, there's also great organisations like Ministry Stories, Contact Theatre in Manchester, that have um, young people at the heart of their organisation. So artists, you know, young people and artists on boards of organisations mm -hmm. so that they can really influence. So that, you, you know, that thinking at the governance level can trickle down and influence the way in which the organisations mm -hmm. operate. That's really fundamental. So, you know, great work done by you know, a couple of young, young people's focused organisations that work I think there's also a need to acknowledge that there are loads of young artists. And ever since this austerity um, time period has come, in my sector, I've seen the artists double. Mm. So for me, I think the main concern is getting training um, people within this environment to be managers and be producers of these hundreds of artists that are being created within particularly the hip-hop world. Mm.
what responsibility do artists have in shaping the way, for example, that art is taught in schools? And are there key things that, as artists, we would want to change? Audiences are perhaps more imaginative in their understanding of both work and the space within which work is to be seen, enjoyed, uh, than is always allowed for by institutions. And audiences, if you like, have allowed themselves to trust their imaginations in ways that we, administrators and others, have perhaps not always understood. We talked about artists as activists, um, not sitting outside communities, but actually part of and within, and the fact that many artists are, wear a number of different hats at any different time. Dan Thompson, who was one of the speakers, talked about um, riot cleanup and the fact that 7 million people were involved, 12,000 people came down and, and started cleaning up after the riots. It was all done through social media. There was no organisation behind that. And that has prompt, prompted through our discussion the idea that we might actually get rid of um, organisations or, or turn them inside out. A few phrases that came up out of the conversation. The dangers of insularity. Internationalism enables you to see yourselves in a new light. Local becomes international in a different con in context and changes the approach to your own work. Um, seeing it also through the lens of a single self-promoting artist self-producing artists, not only through the eyes of an institution. Um, internationalism only makes sense in the context of the national, and we had a bit of a debate about that. Our session was artists and young people, and we heard directly from two young artists, and they spoke very much around the real challenges uh, facing them, including debt, and including not having the, the, the time and resources to develop their work, but also the incredible amount that they have achieved. As a global group, some of the key issues were around balancing, in terms of reaching young people and getting them involved in the arts, balancing informal and formal, uh, better relationships between the education sector and the arts sector, financial sustainability for young artists, the organizations need to pay their young artists, the need for a development of the complementary positions like the producer, the role of uh, national certification programs, the role of parents and family, um, that we need to take risks with our young artists, we need inspiring mentors and facilitators, we need to value R&D, young artists need to be able to make mistakes, they need to be able to find their own unique voice, um, and that really contained with this issue of artists and young people that there is a sense of urgency um, and that there really is a, a chance that young people will not have the creative childhoods that they deserve and that there's a real sense of urgency with this issue. Mine was artists and audience. And um, we had two very talented creative producers as uh, speakers. But um, for one of the first comments of the session was, well, we do need to hear from an artist. So I'll tell you the artist's story first. Which an artist talked about her work and she talked about um, having produced successful work. And the question for the artist then becomes... Do I produce more of this? Do I produce something that's similar so that my audiences stay with me? Or do I continue to develop my own work and how, how cutting edge can I be? Um, but the, the um, sense from the, from the presentation was that um, you need to give audiences codes to understand work, that artists who are mature artists, their work can be even more challenging, but if it's great work, then you have to stick with it and you have to ensure that you can bring audiences to it. My session was on artists and fundraising and we had a fantastic range of um, organisations and artists, small and large um, arts organisations in the room and like um, some of the other chairs have said, there has been quite a lot of crossover um, of themes and, and topics. The three key issues I think that were raised in um, this morning's session 
were around the competition for the, the, the philanthropic pound, obviously something we're all very familiar with, but quite a lot of sort of um, dialogue and conversation around language and artists and arts organisations struggling to articulate sometimes their work in one language, um, even more difficult to be multilingual. And we had some really great evidence and stories from the room of, you know, the inappropriate way in which we sometimes try to, uh, to place and position our work. One of our speakers said he really hates receiving applications that have mirrored uh, or cut and pasted um, language from arts, arts Council applications. My session was effectively climate change. Um, that if the arts are taking sponsorship for major corporates um, in the attempt of those corporates to pretend that they care about the world through art sponsorship, that's not only doing a disservice to that particular partnership, it's actually doing a disservice to the whole of the arts world. So with that, I'd like you to thank all our morning chairs for their contributions. Tell people to the music and the forces fulfilling it to allow the butterfly to emerge from the chrysalis. It's absolutely paramount that imagination was part of that journey for all people. 2012 is a, is a watershed year in terms of arts policy and how we actually find money to support the fantastic arts that exist in this country. What we want to achieve is the long overdue recognition that the arts sit at the centre of the changes of what we're experiencing, not at the periphery. You know, it may be that actually the performing arts should be about not being digital, about not being on electronic platforms, about being live and about being here. So there's been this huge ambition to increase participation, increase engagement, particularly with young people. I think if we fail to capitalise upon that post-Olympics, then we'll have failed. Artists never have the answers necessarily, but what the arts can do is make us think about the big issues. This podcast is produced by Arts Council England. For more content like this, visit artscouncil.org.uk or soundcloud.com forward slash Arts Council England.